G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Our guest today is Dr. Leah O'Million Hodges. Leah is a professor in the School of Communication at Western Michigan University. Her research focuses on leadership and team communication within the larger context of organizational communication, which allows her to fuse her academic and industry experience. Leah has written two leader communication books, Leader Member Exchange and Organizational Communication, Facilitating a Healthy Work Environment and Communicating and Care Coordination for the Palliative care team a handbook for building and maintaining optimal teams the book she's currently writing is an open education resource that will be available worldwide without cost in addition to her books leah's research has been featured in premier peer-reviewed journals including the leadership quarterly management communication quarterly the international journal of business communication business and professional communication quarterly and when she's not researching writing teaching or podcasting you'll find leah highly caffeinated coaching youth sports and enjoying time with the family I had a fantastic conversation with Leah. I hope you enjoy the podcast, but as always, enough from me, and I'll hand over to Leah. Leah, thank you for your time today. We're looking at the issue of communication. Now, this isn't a new topic area in leadership, and it's something that I've covered before, but I like to come back to this because I want to drill down to different people's perspectives on what communication is in a broad sense and why it's important for leaders so to start us off could you give us a bit of a sense as to why you believe communication is critical and probably the second part to that is why is it critical as it intersects with leadership yeah of course well Eric thank you for having me and thank you even more for visiting the intersection of leadership and communication So I'm really passionate about this as an organizational communication scholar, uh, because essentially leadership doesn't exist without communication, our verbals and our nonverbals. So simply put, without communication, we don't have the ability to lead. So if we're thinking about some of these verbal communication competencies, so we look to our leaders for, we want them to persuade others. We want them to cultivate these high quality relationships and maintain them, navigating interpersonal influence and interpersonal differences and conflict. They need to advocate for members for the unit, articulate a plan, celebrating team wins. All of these are communicative in nature. And then the nonverbals, which I think a lot of times we kind of set to the side But the adage of leading by example, right? Are we actively listening to others? Are we treating others with respect? Do we listen without interrupting, right? Facilitating this healthy environment. So there aren't any hogs on a conversation and there aren't any logs, those who aren't really pulling their weight. That body language, I want you to think eye contact, your open body posture, uncrossed arms, You know, it's one thing to say, sure, I have all the time in the world, but you're actually angled toward the door rather than to your conversational partner. So we can really see that leadership in essence is communication. And one way when I teach this, when I'm working with organizations, when I am hired as a consultant, saying think of your communication as a yardstick that others are using to measure your leadership ability. I've done a lot of research in this area. And what I continue to see is that employees are really savvy to managerial behavior. And why is that? 
because our relationships, the way we collaborate with others, this is visible. Even when we're thinking about things like Zoom, right, the way that leaders interact uniquely with each member tells a story about the relationship they share. Right? Is this a trusted relationship? You know, I, I think about a colleague I had before, and he could always go behind our manager's door when it was closed. Right? The way they interacted, it was warm. Uh, he always made her laugh. Another one I think about, short truncated exchanges, really stilted language, really formal, rigid body posture, oftentimes interrupting each other. So we're not actually listening, but thinking about how to respond and to best someone. Again, all of this is communication. Actually, think about this from a very young age. I am one of three, and at dinner time, we would have our plates, my brother and sister and myself, and, and we'd say, oh, gosh, why does Christine have to eat fewer carrots than I do, or why does Ryan get more spaghetti? And my dad would always say the same thing, keep your eyes on your own plate, and it's still something he says. And while working you know, full-time, I did my graduate degrees at night which is a really neat way to understand organizational communication. But I kept thinking, dad, no one's eyes are on their own plate. <laughs> it really inspired my research trajectory because essentially you might not say something about it, but because these communicative exchanges are so visible, we're always very aware of what everyone else has on their plate. Thank you for the, that, um, the scene setting there, Leah. I, I think it's important uh, to go through all of those issues that you just raised. And one thing that strikes me as odd in the previous conversations that I've had about communication is that it should come up more and it doesn't. And I think why people don't talk about this enough, and this is just uh, my perspective here, obviously, is that by and large, uh, human beings being what we are, we believe we're okay at the communication game. So it's not something we need to think about more than anything else. And I I think there's some baggage that comes with that. I, I think to assume that is potentially not great. And, and where this gets interesting for someone like me is communication as part of leadership is almost next level important because if you can't persuade people, you can't influence people, you can't show them what the pathway to X, Y, Z goal looks like, they're not going to get there. And so are you leading or are you doing something else? And at the core of what we do in a leadership process has to be an element of communication. Now, like, like you said, there's different forms of communication. I really liked the example of when you're talking to someone and their body is directed at the door and not at you, you, you pick up very quickly who those people are. And it, it, that that has some nuances. So if you've had a crappy day, if you've had a busy week, if you've got family members you want to be with that might be unwell, you're not focused on the conversation, you're focused on getting out. And in some scenarios, the listener needs to pick up on this person could be under stress. Maybe I'll leave a conversation that, that might need their full attention to another time. So that that idea about two-way interaction strikes me as um, important. Now, ob obviously, you've done research in this area. You 
have an affinity for why communication is important. I'll, I'll ask you this. You've probably met with lots of different leaders at different levels in different organizations, not necessarily for profit. Do you do you, do they necessarily talk to you about the pitfalls around communication or is it not something that people immediately gravitate to from your experience? Yes, thank you for that question. I think that, as you mentioned, for a lot of people, a lot of leaders, it's, well, of course I communicate. And this very dismissive, like, let's move that to the side. Let's move on to the important stuff. But you know, communication is leadership. So this is this is where we need to be. And that that reaction is really revealing for me. <laughs> you know, okay, we're starting at a certain point because you don't see this as being important. It gives me an idea of how their members, how their peers likely view them and what those conversations might be like. And so, and I've had a lot of people say, of course I communicate, everyone communicates. They say everyone talks, but not everyone communicates, right? And these are very different things. So, um, yeah, so to return to that, it, it does take some time to help others to recognize that communication is a vehicle for leadership and the byproduct of leadership. So we can look at the way that we communicate with others, the way that people come to us, right? Do we realize People speak up a lot. People offer really unique and innovative ideas. Or do we realize it's really quiet when we ask for suggestions? Because that might be an indicator that oh, our team our team has been groomed. We tell them we want their ideas, but we know that that's just in talk, that we're not going to listen to them, that we might not pursue them, that that's, we're just going through the actions. Um, so again, returning to communication as a way in which to enact leadership. Again, it can be a different cell based on how people value it and how they see uh, the value of relationships. But at the end of the day, some it's saying, if you wanna be an effective leader, this is where we need to start. This is where we need to end. This is what the whole process is going to look like. And that, that answers a question about why leadership is important and um i i fall into the category of um the non-enlightened when it comes to retweaking what communication might mean uh, um very late in my professional career did i start understanding that even a slight error in judgment when you're communicating when you might mean one thing in your head but it doesn't come out that way you, you've got to You've got to think about your audience. The who's receiving the message, I think, is something that people sometimes don't think about. And uh, a, a very good friend of mine said, "Before you send a angry email, take some time to think about what you're sending before you send it, because you don't have the chance of verbals and nonverbals. It's just something written, and the intent behind the words. You you lose all nuance when you're sending something that's written, unless you bracket everything by saying, what I really meant here is this and here's the feeling. You're not going to do that when you're writing something, but that that's probably for a, a, a little bit of a different discussion. But I think it, it under the family tree of what does um, potentially good communication look and feel like, I'd, I'd like to ask you that. What does good 
look and feel like in relation to leadership communication from your perspective? Yeah, so good communication um, in terms of being a leader. I want you to think about communicating with clarity and respect. And this means audience first, and that helps us to avoid those mixed messages. So we, it's one thing, you know, and I've kind of touched on this to tell everyone, I want to hear from you. Your ideas are important. You are valued. But it's another thing to have that pseudo open door policy that's not enacted, um, that is there just for, you know, kind of PR sake and sometimes and I want you to think about how you can actually create spaces for your team, your employees, your peers to connect with you in a variety of channels. Because what is a comfortable channel for you might not be a comfortable channel for me. And it might vary. So you give the example of you know, the angry email response. So as a communicator, I think, no, you need a media that is richer, right? So you have the context of the verbals and the nonverbals. So for some, they love to raise their hand and speak up in those team meetings. That's a really comfortable space for them. For others, not so much, right? So maybe it's saying, okay, we have a space here. And it might not even be because they're introverted. Some might just need time to think on a subject. They might want to reference something before responding. So as a leader, you say, we're going to start this conversation here in this team meeting I don't need a decision until Friday. Please email me before then. We have our team bulletin board, but I've also set up this anonymous Qualtrics link so you can add feedback that way as well, right? And that might not make sense for, for every decision um, or for every point of feedback we're seeking, but I do want people to think, who is the audience and how can I help them to make communication easier and richer, more nuanced. With those clear expectations. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. It looks like you were going to no, ask No, 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 no. Sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. listening intently. <laughs> Go on, please. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, clear expectations. I think what I see a lot of times in misunderstandings and work groups is the leader has something in his or her or their mind, and they have the assumption that team members, of course, you have the same work ethic as me. I am using air quotes because work ethic is different for all of us. For some, it might mean being in early and staying late, but can we really expect that of everyone? Or we can have that conversation and say, okay, you know, at first your flexible hours, I was feeling a little concerned about it, but I see that you're really nailing it. You're doing all of these things. You're meeting all of these deadlines. That works. Let's continue this. We'll revisit it if it stops working for one or both of us. But right now, thank you for what you're doing, right? Um, another thing that I've seen a lot of in the last couple of years are uh, individuals coming to me saying, my employees were remote. How do I know if they're working? Right? What do I do here? Um, and recognizing that this is where hopefully we already have trust established, but we can say, hey, I'd like to hear from you. Our one-on-ones are going to be scheduled here. Or here are my open office hours. Please pop in once a week. Right? For all of us, this is going to look and feel a little different. But just being very clear about those expectations. And the other expectation I think that is glanced over, glossed over 
way too frequently is how we expect others to treat one another and to interact. So if we expect a, a warm environment where information should be shared, where we should feel free to dissent or offer alternatives, then we as the leader need to model that. Um, I, I always think about the see it, say it policy. So when someone is doing, when they're collaborating really well, when they are helping a teammate, when they're helping to you know, show someone how to do this project, praise that, right? Let people know this is awesome. This is, this is what I want to see. Thank you for doing that. Um, and, you know, I think about weekly wins in a meeting, a team meeting, having everyone have the opportunity to share one win for the week, right? And when we praise the positive, the other hand, and it's not always as comfortable, but swiftly addressing the negative, it's, it's easy to praise positive behavior. It might be less comfortable to say, hey, I see this has been happening. Let's have a conversation about it. But what happens then is if we expect it to go away on its own, or we hope that if we turn a blind eye, you know, it will stop. What happens then is it sends the message to our team that hmm, there are some things that we're not going to manage as the manager. There's some things, you know, we might not do those hard things because it doesn't feel as easy. That can also let people know, oh, well, then maybe I can come in late as well. Or maybe I should withhold this information. Or maybe I don't need to treat others with, with respect because so-and-so isn't. We also then encourage siloing in our team uh, where people are you know, trying to protect themselves or we're encouraging our team members to get together through back channels, whether it's in a cafeteria or another common space to say, what is he or she are they doing, right? Because that, that question of fairness, it never quite goes away, right? We wanna feel like we are being acknowledged for the good and that others are being, um, or ourselves, if we're doing something that isn't right, right, that boundary is important. And the last thing I'd say, what does it feel like? Respect, respecting opinions, respecting ideas. Again, that same behavior for all is organizational justice. If we're on the receiving end of unfair attention or extra flexibility, or if we feel someone else's, we need to make sense of this. And oftentimes, like I said, that is done in positions and places that aren't very good for the team, right? And essentially airing our dirty laundry in the cafeteria, in um, an auditorium, in the entry space, places where we might not necessarily want to be doing that. Yeah, I, I have to agree. In fact, um, you you helped me address what does bad look like, but I, I might ask you, um, in addressing that issue about what does bad look and feel like, I guess the opposite of everything you've just said is, if you're not being treated fairly in terms of communication, if you're encouraging um, silos where conversations aren't being ha had in a productive way, but I, I don't think you can avoid siloing in organisations. I think it just happens through other issues, not necessarily poor communication, but I, I think that's part of it. Uh, and not talking with clarity or respecting the people that you're talking to is important. I, I think most people in the world of work and 
you know, often I'm told it's not about the level of experience, but I think some years in a job, you pick up when people aren't listening to you or you pick up where people are, um, it's tokenistic interactions and uh, the boss is the boss and they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. So what's the point in talking? And that that can often lead to very toxic workplaces and uh, that, that that's a whole other subject area. But I, I can see where it goes wrong. I'm not necessarily wanting to catastrophize here, but it's more to say everything you've just said about what good looks and feels like, there's the, op- the mirror to that stuff is bad in workplaces too. And and to be fair to any human being that's in a workplace, these things can go wrong. It's just part of the process of talking. And I don't for one second um, throw any uh, bad will at leaders that don't do uh, difficult conversations well because they're difficult for a reason. Uh, one that springs to mind is when you have to let someone go from a role or you're demoting somebody how do you deliver news that you know if it was delivered to you can be catastrophic in some ways or can undermine your sense of self and confidence? These things are, are very subjective, obviously, because it's about how you feel about what you're receiving in terms of a message. But just to be aware of how do you deliver something that is terrible news in a considered way, I think it's important too. And that that can't, that can be a positive thing if you know the, a set of words that will help you deliver a bad message. That's about all you can do. Is, is that is that fair enough or have I missed something there, Leah? Well, I, I always tell people even distressing news is palatable if it is delivered in an audience-centered way. And one thing that comes to mind, so when I when I was earning my degrees, I was joking, I'm just a big nerd. I love being in the classroom. So I was working full time in public relations and marketing and doing my master's, then my PhD at night. And so I was in this organization and in this PR role. And it was during the the Great Recession, you know, several years ago. And um and one thing that we were thinking about what we knew there were going to be layoffs and the CEO, we were prepping him for a town hall meeting and we said, Hey, this question's going to come up. And he wanted a statistic. Is it a hundred percent? Well, I would think, you know, with a strong degree, like 99.9%, I feel that someone is going to ask this question. Because in, in sister organizations all over the area, there were layoffs and layoffs and layoffs. And um, this was an opportunity. The whole organization was going to be together. I feel very certain this is going to happen. But of course, we can't guarantee that. Um, so he dismisses it. And a few minutes into the town hall, of course, what is asked, are there going to be layoffs? And he says, nope, none. But we knew... <laughs> Yeah, I see your eyes. That's exactly. We knew there were going to be layoffs, right? This is something at a certain level, these conversations have been happening. And and then, so no, nope, you're fine. No layoffs. A few days later, about 20% of the workforce was let go, right? And so this just shattered everything, organizational trust, right? Wanting to show up at work and to do your job. 
But what people then were asking, you know, is it going to be me? Am I going to be able to keep my child in hockey, right? Am I going to be able to pay for ice time still? Am I going to have to cancel this vacation? So if we take that step back and say, hey, I know that this is likely, this is going to be life-changing for a moment. This is, this is not what any of us hoped. And this is with really heavy heart that I have to deliver this. So again, audience-centered and leaving space to listen, recognizing there, there aren't right or wrong responses, that for most people, they don't know how they're going to react in this situation, because for many, it hadn't happened, right? So knowing that it might be emotional, that it is likely going to be very uncomfortable, um, that someone might storm out, that someone might be in tears in the workplace. But again, if we're thinking about the audience, and if we are Communicating in a timely way, hanging on to information that is going to be life-changing, not so good, right? Then it shows them, I don't, I don't trust you enough to give you this information, or you don't matter enough to have this information. Also think about uh, my partner one time works for a really large national organization, multinational organization. And one time my mom had said, oh, hey, um, how is Brian's position? I heard about A, B, or C. I'm like, what are you talking about? She saw it on the news. And he had learned about this large change the next day from the work. Right? So it is really fascinating to me how often organizations and their leaders overlook the communicative element to to employees, right, and recognizing that that is um, incredibly disrespectful and an incredibly damaging. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the situations where you see leaders dealing with crisis situations and communications becomes the most important element of um, how we're dealing with the crisis. So in Australia, this is going back 10, 12 years ago, we had... Uh, uh, big bushfires and flood, no, flood, sorry, in the state of Queensland where I live. And the then Premier, who is not of the political party that's in power, no, I think she was in the same party that's in power now. I can't quite remember. I am uh, can't retrieve that from my brain at the moment. But anyway, she stepped up and was the leader for the moment. She did what was what was required to keep people safe and away from harm. And a big part of that was constant communication with uh, the people in the state. And this is what we're doing to fix the problem. But before we get into uh, recriminations or trying to understand whose fault it is, because people tend to go to whose fault is this in that kind of situation. She was very good in navigating through some of that in that moment. And so, uh, you know, the pressure of a, crisis situation makes you step up what you just outlined before with that ceo that said nothing to see here and then a fifth of the workforce goes that that's poison for the people that stay there because why would you trust this this gentleman or this lady that said what they said in front of everyone and use the words there will be no x and then the next day or the next week or the next month a fifth of your your company is is gone um, I, I personally probably wouldn't have stayed in a place like that myself. And I'm sure some very talented people started looking for work almost immediately once that happened, which is not great. Um, 
I and you you touched on this, and I might see if you can um, give me another example. The cost of ineffective communication on teams. Uh, you've you've mentioned that example before, but is is there some quantifiable research evidence that says don't do communications and the outcome is going to look like this from your travels? Yeah, so the quantifiable, I'm, I'm thinking about literature on turnover costs. So there's a lot of literature that that looks at the financial costs. And we know that that is, is frankly enormous um, in terms of letting people go, onboarding, looking at the contracts. But as a communication scholar, I'm more interested in the human cost of the relationships lost, of the information that is lost when good employees leave organizations. And of course, that is, what did we do last year when this, you know, when we had this project or when this problem came up? But the relationships that individuals form across units and across teams and organizations when they're spanning those boundaries, you know, how do we place a cost on what is lost then? Um, and think about when I worked in a large hospital setting um, for the, you know, I was in this organization for a long time and it was really nice because then if we had a question about needing something approved, I was on an emergency preparedness team. So I could quick pick up the phone and Pam would answer right away and approve it and we could go to print. Um, and, you know, and otherwise there is a long process for approval. So it would have taken a couple weeks rather than literally two minutes on the phone. So I want to think about things like that, the cost when we have poor communication um, from a leader in an organization. I also want us to think about working in an environment that lacks psychological safety. It can be, oops, overlooking an error, not owning it, because we know that retribution is going to be really, really scary to deal with. Um, also, we're not likely to speak up and share alternatives. We're not likely to dissent, which means we're setting our team up uh, possibly for groupthink. Also, if we are keeping our head down, we're staying at our, at our desk, we are tamping down on our ability to capitalize on our shared talent, right? And that shared talent of the team and what we can do as a collective rather than this collection of individuals. And another thing I've been thinking a lot about, and um, I'm interested in, in conducting research in this regard, is ineffective communication, leader communication, and a link between the quiet quitting phenomenon that is really um, in, in conversations all over today. So that quiet uh, quitting, the doing the bare minimum, and withholding anything else, whether you know, history has shown us we're not valued or that we're not a trusted member of the team. Um, but it also means not pitching in, not necessarily helping, not innovating. And and I would think that a lot of this, if we have that leader that doesn't look at the value and the power of their communication, and uh, I think the responsibilities of that formal leader as kind of the lead communicator and I imagine we're going to have a lot more quiet quitters on teams like that. Yeah, that, that's uh, amazingly interesting. I I would suggest to you that it would be lots of people that 
would just quietly exit an organization. And um, I think one of the um, issues there is if you don't know why people leave, then the organization doesn't learn anything. But if the cynic in me might go, well, some organizations don't really give a flying hoo-ha why people leave. They just, they will get replaced. Um, the, the, um, the spectrum there around the cost of replacing people, the cost of recruitment, the, you know, that onboarding process, and then how do you measure the loss um, implications for the business when people leave? They're very interesting questions. And um, I've, I don't think I've ever asked this out loud, but I'll, you know, we're having a conversation, so why not? How do you, can you develop a monetary metric for when uh, you lose our relationships and the things you were talking about before and the human element in the business um, outside of the turnover and the the onboarding costs? And um, it's often not discussed. And I, I think part of it is people don't see some of what we're talking about as, the most difficult parts of running a business. They call it the soft skills area. It's not given uh, due respect. Now, I'm not saying everyone looks at it that way, but that phenomenon I think still exists and, and okay. trying to bridge that divide is um is a little difficult. I, I, I don't subscribe for a second that it's a soft skill to deal with human beings because it's kind of the core of what leadership is. If you can't deal with other human beings, you're doing something, but I don't think it's necessarily uh, leadership. And and what what I'd like to do, if you're open for this, Leah, is at the end of this podcast, which we're heading to now, I want to help build colleagues and and those that are listening's um, leadership toolkit, if for want of a better word. And so, asking you, then, what are your key tips for better communication? If I want to add some uh, firepower to the to my leadership toolkit. So what would you suggest? Yes. So thank you for that that question. And as you know, it is it communication is often dismissed as a soft skill. And I think part of it is it's hard. It's harder than it seems like it should be. And it takes a lot of practice. And I just think of a parenting expert. So I promise I'll come back to the, the question, but she says it's it's hard because it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong. And that's something that I truly believe about effective communication and being mindful of your communication. Um, so with that, when I was preparing and thinking about this question, there are three, three key things. Um, so I want us to look at listening. I want to think about a communication audit and then avoiding powerless language. So starting with communication, or I'm sorry, starting with listening rather, it might seem counterintuitive because when we think about communicating, we're often thinking about generating, about outward, about being the one who is, is leading either with our verbals or nonverbals but we learn so much from listening. And one, we literally hear and see what is going on, not what we think is going on or what we hope is going on. Uh, I always think about, especially in the United States, we are so quick to just listen to what someone says and not dig any deeper. So someone really looks stressed out or tired and they're kind of hunched over and you ask, you know, are you okay? I'm fine. Then a lot of, most of the time, if, okay, great, glad you're fine. 
and we go on. Um, but truly listening means going that step further. And so when people know that you are listening to them, they're more likely to speak up, to share and connect because excellent listeners convey respect for others. They, in this respect, it often leads to trust, right? So how do we listen well? I want you to think about active listening. So of course, this is eye contact, and that also means avoiding looking at our, you know, our watch, our phone, our email, the door, um, focus. So you are not thinking, so, you know, what am I going to have for lunch today? How am I going to get this prepped before the meeting? You are actually listening to what your conversational partner is saying. I want you to think about paraphrasing, and this one's really important because the way someone is communicating something to you, you might have a different interpretation than what they intend. So this is an opportunity to verify that you're on the same page. I need to think about asking questions as a way to learn more or to demonstrate that you're listening. And again, that open body language, that, that attentive language, and we've talked about the eye contact, but have the shoulders facing the person. Um, avoid being crossed, avoid being angled to the door, whatever you want to be, um, what you're thinking about doing next, and seeking to understand before pushing to be understood. So that was the first one, that active listening. Uh, my second communication tip, and this is one for all of us, you don't need to be in a titled leadership position, a communication audit. So this can be formal. You could set this up. So when I have course reviews, I will ask my students, Dr. O communicates to you in a way that, and I let them fill in the blanks so that they can tell me. Um, so that's a formal example. But informally, just taking a moment to reflect on, hmm, how does it feel when I communicate with this person? If overall I had to rate myself, you know, what would that number be? What are these strengths? What are my areas for improvement? Another really good indicator, think about someone on your team you really like working with, right? That you, you have trust with them, that you, you use them as a sounding board for feedback. Think about what communication looks like then. And then I want you to think about the person that maybe you just didn't hit it off with. So you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be a relationship with strife necessarily. Um, it can be. But who's that person we just don't communicate with often or it feels a little stilted? Because that can really reveal a lot about your communication as well, right? So we're gonna look at those ones that are easy, those ones that take a little more effort. You can also ask romantic partners. They're usually really happy to tell you, oh, yes, let me tell, let me tell you how you can do this better or what you do really well. Um, family, friends, and colleagues, right? That can be helpful, but we also have to recognize that it can take a minute to let these things settle, that we might have to revisit them and unpack them later. And then my third and my final tip for improving your communication skills is avoid that powerless language. So I have an example, and this is one that I used on my podcast, The Communicative Leader, and one that I use um, in training new managers in, in uh, particular. So I want us to think about two ways that we can go to our manager, and because we're interested in leading a new project. So request one, so I'm gonna read this. 
I was kind of hoping that maybe we could get together at some point, maybe over coffee to talk about my next steps, if you want, and if you could make the time. So the we've made a request. We've asked for what we wanted, right? A chat about career progression and someone informally over coffee. Okay, done. We did it. But I want to look at that in another way. So here's request two. I know the Smith project is set to start next month. I'm confident that I can lead this project successfully. I've even thought about some ideas. I'd like to discuss these ideas. And can we also talk about my growth and development in the team? Let's do it this week with Thursday afternoon work. So the heart of both these requests, this is essentially the same. A check-in with the manager to consider my career development. But while the requests are seeking the same end goal, they're radically different in terms of showcasing credibility, poise, and formal and informal leadership. So again, who are you going to assign that project to? Number two, right? That, that second request. And this boils down to our communication. So powerless language, I want you to avoid. So those disclaimers, right? Well, you're probably going to say no. Or you might not pick this idea. So we don't need to deny responsibility. We don't need to tell anyone ahead of time to dismiss our ideas. I want you to think about the hesitations, the ums, you know, the likes, right? those conversational fillers. Another one, tag questions. Don't you think or don't you agree when we're adding those to the end of a statement? Our hedges. I guess, sort of, and kind of. And then another one that we tend to see, especially with those who are new in industry, these intensifiers in our language, really, really excited, or I'm very upset about this. So really very, anything that we don't necessarily need to, uh, to convey what we're thinking in a professional setting. This takes work. You know that when I was working on a podcast about this, in the middle of talking about this, I realized I had said, um, a couple times, and I fought the urge to go back and edit it out. And it was really hard, but I think it's a good way of saying, I teach this, I do this, I have my PhD in this, and, and I still fall prey to this at times. So not perfect doesn't exist, but just being mindful of these can help us to be more thoughtful in selecting you know, our words in the way in which we want to convey our thoughts and impose our requests. Yeah, I cannot find a way to disagree with any of that, Leah. Mm -hmm. One one thing uh, that I worried about when I was doing this podcast as just audio is, and I did this probably for the first hundred odd episodes, is I would edit out any ums and pauses. And what I found later is that in some context, leaving the pause or the um has a strategic benefit for communicating something because people that, that want to pause in the middle of a sentence or are trying to find the best set of words, an um in that setting is not necessarily, to me, it's only a personal thing, uh, not optimal communication, but you're trying to find the right set of words and I think in the context of, a, of an interesting conversation which we've had so thank you for this it's around trying to get the best set of words out and um, you know in terms of a process here as we're talking I want to get the the best out of you while we're talking and so you're cognizant all the time that you want to say the right thing it's, and 
have an uninterrupted chain of thought, but I, you know, the, the better part of me thinks that's never going to happen the way you hope that it does. But that's all that said, I've met and you've probably met communicators that are so good at it that you don't ever hear these things. And it's not because they're better than a, a you know, every other human being as they've practiced that art form. And I, I, I see now in the conversation, we've had very few ums and ahs coming from your end of the conversation and, and it's a practice thing. So I, I understand that. And, um, the, the other idea that you've brought up through the whole discussion, which I think is worth considering, is don't assume um, content or a perspective from someone unless you clarify what that is, which is why emails can be so destructive if they're they can be received the wrong way when you don't intend them to 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 be that. And what one thing I found very recently is communication on things like Facebook when uh, people leave commentary that is ambiguous, but you can, uh, a reasonable person might assume that you mean X, Y, Z from what you've written down. And yeah, the written form of this, and, and this is something I think I'd like to continue to chat with you on another podcast around written communications and the pitfalls around that. If you're up for the discussion, Leah. I would love to, yes. Amazing. Look, Leah, thank you for your time today. Yes, it has been a pleasure. And I love that I want to leave your listeners with that idea that you brought up that communication is practice. And it, you know, when I first started teaching and did a lot of public speaking, and some people love this, some people hate this, but it is a practice. It is a communication skill that can be improved with practice. And the same with avoiding powerless language and taking an audience-centered approach and being an active listener doesn't happen overnight. And again, the perfect doesn't exist, but if we continue to practice, it feels less like an act and it just becomes the way in which we interact with others. I'd like to thank Leah for her time. This was an excellent conversation around the intersection of leadership and communication. I'll be doing a lot more podcasting in this space, focusing on particular communication issues from a leader perspective. Please join us for our next podcast, which drops on Monday, the 7th of August, featuring the leadership pathway of our guest, Andrew Chesterman, the CEO of Redland City Council. As always, have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.